What's up, boys and girls? Thank you for tuning in to the Josh Belcher Experience. I'm your host, Josh Belcher. Remember, this podcast is unique, just like all the other ones you listen to. The only thing that truly sets us apart is your host has an ADHD-driven mind, followed by a splash of bipolar tendencies. Now sit back, relax, hold on to your seats, and let's get this party started. In honor of all the fallen heroes, September 11th, um, we're going to have an interview with Will Kraft, local firefighter here in my home area of Columbia, Tennessee. Every year on September 11th, he comes to the local Planet Fitness, where I work part-time, and he climbs 110 stories on our stair climber in full um, uniform, full fireman's uniform, to honor his fallen brothers and sisters who uh, lost their lives trying to save others in the 9-11 attacks. Uh, It's our way to give tribute and honor a local hero and never forget the ones we lost. And uh, that's coming up here in just a second. Uh, September 11th is coming up, uh, being the patriot that I am and loving my country. I'm here with a full-blown superstar hero, uh, Mr. Willcraft. He's a fireman, a father, a godly man. He's built like a brick toilet house. We'll keep it clean. Uh, he's in the gym working out all the time. He's got all things going on. And most importantly, and I've written about it, but his story is a great one because every September 11th uh, week, he does something very unique. Will you tell the listeners what, what you got going on? What do you do that's really special uh, other than your actual job as a fireman and being a hero and all that good stuff? Yeah, I like to come in and get on a stair climber, mm-hmm. and I'll climb 110 stories, and I'll bring all my personal protective equipment, all my, my, my helmet, the air pack, my coat, my pants, and I'll put it all on, and I'll climb it. And uh, the reason I do that is to remember the 343 fallen firefighters that died on September 11th in 2001. And and let me tell you, these stair climbers, a, a regular guy can barely do 10 in a row, and he's climbing them all full uniform, uh, tanks, the whole thing. I mean, it's just amazing to see. I got to watch him do it a few years ago. Very moving um, and dedicates it to his fallen brethren, and it's just a really amazing thing. Um, and you said this year you're doing it twice. I'm doing it on the 11th here. At Planet, that's Planet Fitness at, he's talking about, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I'm doing it uh, the 15th, which I believe is a Sunday, and we're going to Nashville. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's called the Tennessee Tower. Okay. And they've got 28 floors, and then we'll go up, and then we'll get on the elevator and come down. We'll do that four times. That's awesome. Now, is this with fellow firemen, or is this anybody? Yeah, that's with uh, firemen all over the state. There may be some others from neighboring states that come down, but only 343 will do it. In Nashville, that's awesome. And what they'll do is they'll give you a uh, a lanyard with like a, what looks like a driver's license card mm-hmm. of one of the fallen firemen. From that's the, awesome. I'm gonna start crying. My big self is gonna be in here squalling. That's beautiful, <laughs> man. I mean, it's it's awesome enough that you risk your life and limb for guys like me. I've always appreciated you. I have the utmost respect. But doing that's just icing on the cake, man. And to be able to see somebody visualize it because I remember a few years back you had you were telling me. By the way, you dedicated. You would write their. What was it, you'd write their name down or something? I would pick you? a name. Okay. Uh, I've always wanted to go and do it in Nashville. Yeah, because uh, this is prestigious. Like you have to. I mean, how, yeah. Didn't you have to wait a while to get to be a part of it, or how yeah, does it work? You have to. You have to. You're. You're one of many, trying to get in, and mm-hmm. they only do 343 spots. 
So sometimes you just don't get in. And after a couple times of not getting in, I said, you know what, I'm going to do it here. Hmm. And I'm still going to continue to do it here because yeah, that's a thing here. now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but now that I actually get to go up there and do it with the rest of those guys, yeah. it's going to be cool. It's going to be a great mm-hmm. uh, tribute. It's going to be very moving and, and more power to you. And like I said, I mean, you're doing good on your, your exercise anyway. Now, how, with all this suit on and everything, how do you pace yourself? How, how do you do it? Because like I said, I can hit it for five minutes and I'm about ready to be buried. So and what what's the secret? What, what do you do to condition? What I mean, what what all goes into it? Because it's your full outfit, you know. It's full uniform. everything, probably extra seventy pounds. Wow, of stuff. Um, man, you know, I don't know if you seen me last couple of weeks, but usually I try to come in and hit it real hard on the stair climber, and then I also got a weighted vest I put on, put about thirty pounds in it. Okay. And I'll start off. I'll go about fifty flights with that on, take it off, finish it. The other day I went on and did the whole hundred and ten with the weighted vest on. Um, but also teach spin classes in Mount Pleasant at the community center. So that's another thing that's probably helped my cardiovascular system a lot too and, and getting ready for this. Yeah. Sean was telling me about that up front, and I was like, because you look like you're it's slimming down, like you're, you're gaining the mass and you're slimming too. How, how did you become approved to be a spin teacher? Did you just take it on? Uh, I, I just went to do the classes down there from actual spin instructors down there. The, the hospital and the community center of the city of Mount Pleasant kind of teamed up and did the uh, a spin program. We got a grant and got, I think they've got like 17, 18 bikes. And then it was actual spin instructors doing the class, but after a while, they were getting kind of burnt out, and they wanted to take a break. And I'm sitting there going, man, I could, I think I could do this. I like music, yeah. and I like exercise. And I got to come up with like a 45 to an hour minute or an hour long playlist of music. And uh, I would just say, hey, I'll, I'll do one too. And if people show up, they can spin along with me and listen to my music and enjoy it. And if they get something out of it, great. Man, I'll burn 800 to 1,000 calories in an hour riding that bike it's amazing now what are your what are your evenings out there because this is something i probably have to like are, are we allowed to come out there if we're living sure climate? no yeah Any, <laughs> anybody's welcome and you can uh the the parks and rec mount pleasant parks and recs the one that actually puts the schedule out and uh, the director he'll send out a text and whatever's available usually there's always a few mornings for the 5 30 people going to work and they'll do one at 5 30 and they usually last about an hour but sometimes I'll do one at like uh, maybe 4.45, 4.30, get the people that are coming off work. Sometimes there's one on Saturdays. Uh, in the summer, it doesn't really, uh, it's not really as busy as it is in the wintertime because everybody's doing stuff with baseball and, you know, their kids and going out of town and stuff. But usually I try to do maybe two a week, and usually it's about 4.30, 4.45. Wow. And be like, it lasts about an hour. Now, now, what, what's the, okay, now I'm asking you, obviously, for maintaining, you know, shape and then losing weight and everything, are you meal prepping? I mean, what's going on to your, you know, to everything you got going on as far as, like, the physicalness, what you're going through with top of being a fireman, you know, juggling your life, doing these spin classes and everything, like, what, what's, what, how are you maintaining? Man, uh, at first it started out as almost a, like, I, about three years ago, I got to 298 pounds. Yeah. And I said, I'm not, not getting to 300 pounds yeah. i'm not doing it i'm six foot tall 300 pounds that's, that's too much so i started exercising with the help of guys at work through a, a program with peer fitness program at work started dropping weight drop weight and i dropped so much weight i felt really sick i got down to 240 uh, i looked good but man, i didn't feel good like yeah. i still i couldn't have done i couldn't come in here and do what i do today so 
I started eating a little bit better. I mean, I still eat. I mean, I get hungry, I'm going to eat. But I try to watch what I eat. And then I got a little bit of a diabetic scare where my A1C got out of where it's supposed to be. And uh, I got put on some medicine to help control that. Like some metformin or metformin something? Metformin, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So along with that medicine and eating a little bit better, uh, cutting down on the carbohydrates is a big thing, you know, that, that stored the, sugar. The best stuff. Yeah, the good stuff, bread, <laughs> yeah. potatoes, stuff like that. Now I'll still eat a, a roll or something with, but, you know, I, I, I quit watching all that stuff, nasty stuff I was eating, mm. sit around on the couch and just eat chips all the time. You know, I quit doing it. I'd snack on a little bit better stuff, nuts or something like that. But my wife does meal prep for us. It's really good stuff. Um, uh, exercising and just a little bit. You don't have to eat vegetables all the time. Yeah. But you just got to, a lot of it's portion control too, you know. Yeah, sure. Used to, I just, if it was on my plate, I, I didn't want to waste it. I, I eat it. Yeah. But now it's like, well, I'll sit this to the side and maybe eat tomorrow for lunch. Yeah. So. That's a good mentality. So, uh, and you know, and I keep bouncing back because I wanted to cover it all. But um, with your climbs and everything, do you have? And this is just shooting from the brain. Do you have a charity or anything somebody could like support you with? Yeah, like do you do you donate? Or is, it, is there any funds that they like? Like like with these climbs you do, do they donate to anything or, or anything like that? Um, I'm sure up in Nashville, any type of sales they do will probably go to the National Fallen Firefighters yeah. Memorial or a fund of some sort. Because they'll have they'll probably have shirts for sale and yeah stuff like that. There is a uh, I think a, we had to pay thirty bucks for a registration fee. I'm sure that goes to stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it could be the the wives and children. It could go to some type of college fund for fallen firefighters. You know, children stuff like that. So I'm not really sure how that works. I never really thought about doing anything like that. Yeah. I just kind of kind of just did it on like a that's a personal thing I wanted to do yeah I hear yeah you know when you come to me I think it was over this 2017 wasn't it yeah and told me about that I said man that's really cool I didn't have any idea anybody cared what was going on I know you know and then when you told me about it and then you did the kind of little interview with me it was it was cool to know that it it meant something to somebody else besides the guys I work with and stuff, you know. Well, I just made me like, you know, you like my real life hero now. I got one, and like, and you've always been so cool, and you're just calm and collective. You're you're the kind of guy I aspire to be, you know, because like, you just got it going. I mean, there are certain people in life that touch you for certain reasons, and I saw you doing that, and then I, I put two and two together because at first I'm thinking, all right, this guy right here is about to go do, you know, American Ninja Warrior. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought. Now it's like, oh, September 11th, right? And that's when I was like, all right, I had to talk to you, but. I'm an emotional guy, so like the minute I start talking, about it, I was like, I'll start crying because yeah. you're telling me your story, and it's just it's amazing, and, and I'm always been I'm proud to know you, and I just think it's something that if I can ever spread and make people more aware of it, I'm going to because you know I'm lucky enough to have you here right in my backyard, and, and, and anytime I can let somebody be aware of it because we can't ever forget it, man. I mean, sure. you know, we've lost lives, and I always give credit to the men and women in uniform whether it be you know firemen police army whatever i always you know that's just what's bred into me yeah because who's the first person we're gonna call if we need somebody that's right you know and you're mm-hmm. killing i'm gonna fist bump you you're my yeah. buddy uh anything else you want to tell any of these listeners uh anything you want to make them aware of uh floor is yours and well you know i appreciate your time today it's sunday and you know you got, you got stuff going on so oh uh, uh, man i appreciate you having me here uh i love coming here i'm glad you work here i get to see you a little bit more than, than when you were uh just coming in to work out so and I appreciate you and anybody out there is listening. Uh, you know, you can. Uh, I'll be here. I'm not exactly sure what time between nine and ten. So if anybody's around wants to come yeah. watch, I'll be here on September 11th. Mm-hmm. It was.
was so flipping cool to catch up with my favorite drummer, Fred LeBlanc of New Orleans rock and roll monsters, Cowboy Mouth. Now they're coming to Nashville to the Exit Inn on October 4th. To get your tickets and more information, go to ExitInn.com or go to CowboyMouth.com. Now when they come to town in concert, it is more than a rock and roll show. It is a soul-redeeming experience. I'll be there. Sam Madewell will be there. You should be there too. Uh, Fred was kind enough to talk to me about life as drummer slash frontman lead vocalist of Cowboy Mouth. He talks a little bit about philosophy, drumming, the whole shebang. So let's get ready to listen to that. And as Fred would so famously say, are you with me here? Fred LeBlanc of Cowboy Mouth. Thank you for talking to us today. Josh Belcher, Sam Madewell here. How you doing? Hey, Sam. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, just uh, just pumped that you're coming back to Nashville. Uh, Exiting October fourth, a few days before my birthday. Um, I, will be in, <laughs> I will be in attendance as I've been uh, many many times before. Oh, um, what's what's going on with the band? What's going on with you? Uh, let's see. Actually, it's the day before my son's birthday, so nice. we're playing Good. the next night in Birmingham. So after the show in Nashville, I'm going to wake up early Saturday morning, drive to see my children in North Mississippi for about four hours. And then I'm going to drive to Birmingham and play there. So it's going to be a very eventful weekend. So when's yeah. your birthday? Uh, October 8th. And, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a lot older than your son, but I will still be as giddy. To, I'll be as giddy to see you on stage as he will be when you get there to see him. Awesome. Awesome. How well, is my, he? Birthday is, my birthday is October 17th. So Is it really? A bunch of October babies here, buddy. I hear you. I, w- I would get you a Titan tap, but I don't think you'd like me much anymore. You <laughs> sure it's fine with me. I just won't wear it. You know? <laughs> oh. I'll use, you know, I'll use it to keep my dirty socks in. That'd be good. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, that's, that's probably how their season's going to be. Um, oh, it's all right. Hey, man, I lived through being a Saints fan for many, many years. I'm old oh, enough yeah. to remember the bags on the head and everything like that. So <laughs> it's, just, um, it's all just a game. It's just meant you're just meant to have fun. If you take it too yeah. seriously, you take the fun out of it. It's like life. Yeah, take it too right. seriously, you um, take the fun out of it. <laughs> Every time I've interviewed you or, or been in your presence or seen you, it's the same mentality, the same positivity, the same energy after year and year and year. Uh, just as a person who gets down in the dumps and stuff, how do you avoid it? Because I've never seen you downtrodden. You're always well. Good. I don't, you know, I don't avoid it. I have my, uh, I have my moments just like anybody, you know. But you know, I, I, as I've gotten older, I've really learned to kind of let things kind of slide off my back. I'm, a little bit more simply because you know it's you do you don't do yourself or anybody any good by being you know just bringing bad energy that's right in any situation and, and it's not that you can avoid it it's not like it's always sunshine it's just uh-huh. after a while you learn that it's just better to turn you know towards one direction than turn to another i have my bad days just like anybody you know? yeah and you know, I mean, life definitely presents you with a lot of challenges, but, you know, approaching those challenges, you know, and with a defeatist mindset and just, you know, That's being true. terribly torn up, and it just really does no good. You know, I was, I was uh, when I was much younger, I was, you know, I was a punk rocker. I loved all the hard punk bands, you know, The Clash, uh, Black Flag, and all those guys, and mm-hmm. I really loved the musical intensity of it, but as a performer... And as you know, I guess you know, for lack of a better term, somebody who's looking for a better way. As much as I loved punk rock, as much as I loved it, it seemed like, you know, a fast car heading straight for a brick wall. You know. Yeah. What yeah. Do you, yeah. What do you do after that? You know. And yeah. the thing about it was, is, 
when I was uh, really, really young, I'm talking about five, six years old, I found a lot of inspiration in, like, the kind of black gospel churches. Because, right um, because you know, I, I used to replay, like, services uh, before the Bugs Bunny show in New Orleans. Yeah. So I'd wake up early and just turn this turn on this TV. And, I, and growing up Catholic, I was very conscious of, you know, a religious mindset that, you know, made you feel, okay, you're an original sinner. No matter what you do, you're a terrible, terrible person. You are the worst, and nothing you do is right, and everything you do is wrong. Oh, and by the way, give us all your money. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just – I didn't really buy it. And, you know, I always had – I always had a feeling, you know, that this life is not all there is by any stretch of the imagination. And and when I saw those, uh, you know, this is very, it's very esoteric to a little white kid in the suburbs of New Orleans. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, my parents were not adventurous people. I did not really travel much until I was an adult, really. And so all I knew was my little world, and then. You know, I would see this, you know, the the gospel churches, and it seemed like they were using, you know, religious expression or religion as a way to kind of relieve themselves of their burdens as opposed to piling more burdens on them, you know? Like they would sing, they would shout, they would just kind of let it out, and they would leave, you know, the service feeling uplifted. And I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, that's, that's what it's supposed to be. That's what, you know, God or whoever you want to, you know, call it by, that's what it's supposed to be. And and I really felt a kinship with that, um, that expression, because I'd always had that need to just express in my life. Yeah. You know, I was born deaf. And wow. um, yeah, I didn't hear till I was about three years old. My folk, I had a deformity in my ear canals that prevented me from hearing, like I had like an, a 90% hearing loss. And then, um, but my lungs were underdeveloped. Ha 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 ha! Oh man, uh, no kidding. My lungs were underdeveloped, so they couldn't operate on me until I was three years old. My folks got the idea. My parents had the idea to just kind of lay my head on stereo speakers and just crank them because I was just kind of this blob in my own world. And all of a sudden, before I could talk, I started singing. Oh wow, that's yeah. awesome! And so music has always been a very—it's always been my primary mode of expression because I didn't really talk until I was about three, three and a half years old, but I sang, wow. I sing like Italian opera and stuff like that. At least that's what my family told me. And <laughs> so, you know, I was always looking for that expression to the greater, you know, and I had played in bands, you know, when I uh, turned like 17, I played in bands, like new wave bands. And I was always kind of more bending towards, uh, like rock and rock and roll and things like that. But growing up in New Orleans, you had that element of of the beat, you know, that everybody everybody has a distinct sense of rhythm in New Orleans simply because we all grow up going to Mardi Gras parades. And mm-hmm. the marching bands here are some of the best bands in the world. And, you yeah. know, the rhythms are just pounded out and you're a child and you're hearing these bass drums that sound like cannons beating out this rhythm that just – that's just a little different from the rest of the world, you know? Yeah. And so I kind of got that in me, and I played in a couple of punk bands. I played in this band called Dash Rip Rock in the 80s. That was kind oh, of yeah. like 
country <laughs> punk rock. It was, you know, it was kind of like a, like some of our heroes were Jason and the Nashville Scorchers. Played a lot of shows with those guys. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Georgia Satellites. I mean, this is going way back. This is way before your time. But, you know, these were bands who were kind of combining a lot of the roots rock element of country with not just rock and roll, but like really punk rock intensity, which at the time was very, very unusual. And I played in this band, Dash Rip Rock, that was that had that did really well, that was regionally very successful in the eighties. But yeah. at the same time it was just it was a crazy ride. I mean, there wasn't one week that went by when I didn't think to myself, you know, we we could die. We could die. Oh my gosh. Well, it was just the whole <laughs> it was a lot of you know, the guys who were in the band, you know, um as as I as I say, you know, success exaggerates everything, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. And while we turned into a hell of a band, you know, in the 80s, there was a lot of free-floating substances and things like that. Ironically enough, I was the straight one, and I was the sane one in that band. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, but yeah. when – but because it wasn't just the personalities. It was just – it was a very negative kind of – um, punk rock uh, mm. nihilism that just really didn't appeal to me that really kind of beat me down inside and when I formed Cowboy Mouth I made a very conscious attempt to approach it uh, as like you know like the old performers like Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis who literally were one step from the gospel church you know playing yeah, with yeah. that same fervor that same intensity and that same joy you know <laughs> and you know, both of them had lots of conflicts as to opposed to religion, to religion or rock and roll. And my thing was just like, why not do both? You know, yeah. but not bring an overtly religious element other than a, like a spiritual element, kind of like what the rhythm does to you, music does to you. You know, we we had I had a fan a few years back who came up, he gave me the best compliment. He was a big old good old boy, and he's man, I love you guys. You're like a gospel tent revival without the religion. And I was like. That's perfect. You know? <laughs> yeah, I remember. I'm gonna throw something out for you. I was about, I was about 14 years old. Okay, River Stages, Nashville, down there yeah. in Cumberland. Um, uh, I saw you for the first time ever. This is when I became a fan. You know, Jenny says was just getting its speed and yeah, it was, you know, sorry, you, it was a big. We had a good run with that. Yeah, yeah uh, I remember you come out uh, overalls and, and no shirt, and I was like, oh, this is my kind of guy. And you're pounding the kick. You're pounding the kick drum, okay? And I'm getting into it. I just started drumming. I've been drumming for about a year. And yeah. you've got you've got this guy here hooked. I'm, I'm looking at you, and you start singing, "Amen, Amen, yeah. dude." My goosebumps on top of goosebumps. Uh, literally one of the defining moments. Uh, a love of music for me. Uh, oh. you, just, you just made it everything, and and I've been following you ever since. And I just think you're the bee's knees, man. And, and that's where well, it all started. You. you know, like you said. It, you take something coming, you know, from a guy who's Southern Baptist, and you yeah. take you take the form of it. And it's not necessarily over preachy, but you feel the soul and the spirit yeah. and the the Southernness in it. It's just uh, I, you just got it, and it's just it's just a thrill to be talking to you. And I, you know, you're talking about all that stuff, and I remember that like I was yesterday. I'm going to be 37 in a month. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It's, it's it getting everybody involved too. You know, it That's was just it. yesterday, and tomorrow when you're 57, it'll just be tomorrow. It's Time, time goes fast, man. You know, I, I mean, we're not. This life is not all there is by any stretch of the imagination. And one thing, you know, of, of the many things I've learned as I've gotten older, it's just 
I look back over the huge landscape of my life and I go, man, that's gone so fast, you know? And it really kind of, it's kind of taught me to really appreciate the moment. And, you know, even when, you know, I, I was talking about that stuff when the band started, it really didn't hit home until much later when I really started experiencing how fast time flies, how, how, you know, grand moments are really precious and fleeting. You know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, you know, uh, yeah. There's not many people in our line of in our line of work who still really pursue it, and you know, consistently like like we have. And the main reason I do it is because it's still a thrill and a challenge to me. You know, yeah. it's still a thrill and a challenge to go out and perform to win an audience o- over to. You know, because it's not, you know, Cowboy Mouth Show isn't the, the greater glory of me or any of that BS or anybody on the stage. It's never really been about anybody on the stage. It's about reawakening that part of you that you forgot was there, that part of you that knows that you could be up there doing what I do, you know, if not for a quirk of fate. And who knows? You know, next week you might be. I mean, <laughs> it's that idea of just really – reminding everyone of the awesomeosity that's in each and every one of us, you know? And yeah. And that's important because I think when you create that vibe, when you create that feeling, when you create that um, environment, it gives people room to rediscover the very best of themselves that they can take, you know, long after the show is going, that they can access long after the show is going by. If you listen to a piece of music, you know, it snaps that feeling back into you. Just, ah, yeah, I remember that. I remember how that felt. And it's not it's not the music or the performance as much as it is the feeling. You know, the feeling can be accessed any time, you know, and maybe we're just a conduit to remind people of that inside of themselves. You know? yeah, or maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm just full of crap. Who knows? Well, no, it's very, it's very uh, philosophical, but, I mean, and, and I've never known you to brag, but I'll brag on you. But, you know, some people are good at drumming and some people are good at singing, and you've mastered them both. I don't think anybody can hold a candle to you. And, and you do it year after year, and I've never been to a show where it's like – like with, I've seen other bands where you're like, oh, they're just wanting to get their check. Year after yeah. year, you guys bring you bring it to a, a different level, and it's it's never boring. I mean, when you go to a Cowboy Mouth show, you're in for a treat. Yep. Well, thank you very much. I mean, you know, it's, you know, I mean, that's really kind. But at the same time, you know, I mean, I do try, but it's important to me, you know. It's important It's important to me that if somebody's going to come in and lay down their hard-earned money, you know, because it's not easy to come see a rock and roll show or any show for that matter. You yeah. pay money, you park. You probably went to go get something to eat, you find drinks or whatever. You're basically giving me and my, being my pals the opportunity to, you know, kind of grab your attention for a, a few hours. And my idea has always been, okay, if you're going to give me your attention for a few hours, let me turn the mirror back on you. Yeah. Because, you know, by celebrating yourself and celebrating what's inside of you, you will leave the show feeling hopefully better than you have in a long time. And yeah. by by proxy – you can bring that into your own life. You're more likely to bring other people to the show so they can do the same thing. And I mean, that's how we've done it for like 30 years. It hasn't always been easy. And, you know, there's been some really high ups and some really low downs, but I mean, you just, I'm, I'm a guy who's, it's in my nature to just 
you know, put my nose down and forge ahead. That's just the way I've always been. I've never really gotten too caught up in um, labels or status or what people think about me or what people don't think about me. You know, I've had just as many detractors as I have, you know, people who really enjoy what I do. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just a guy doing my thing, trying to put out a positive vibe in the world. And, you know, hopefully I succeed. And most days I do. Some days I don't, I guess, you know, it's, yeah. it's not really up for me to decide. I'm just doing it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you do it to a T. Um, um, did you have questions? Yeah, well, I, I just I, – I've always noticed that, too. I've been to a few of your guys' shows and really enjoyed it. And that was the one thing I've noticed the most is the way that you encourage the crowd to get into the into the music itself and everything. And it's like you said, you know, um, people go to a show and they've worked all week and they get excited about coming to a concert to one of their favorite bands and they hear these yeah. songs on the radio. And that's one thing about you guys that is very, very, very cool and appreciated on from the fans' viewpoint is that you're you are very uplifting and there's a lot of energy and I can guarantee you when a hundred percent of the people that leave that show really enjoyed themselves, you know, and that's an important thing, you know. So, very important thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean the I mean the whole thing is, you know, there was all this brew ha ha in the eighties and nineties about metal bands putting out, you know, you know, lyrics and stuff and and they would say, "Hey, you know, it's, it's we, you know, we can't really be held responsible for how people interpret what we do." Right. Yeah. And on the one hand, on the one hand, I can see that because it is entertainment. There is kind of an unspoken underlying thing saying this is entertainment. But at the same time, yep. You know, if you make it look glossy and pretty to engage in, you know, stupid shit, for lack of a better term, <laughs> yep. you know, People are very vulnerable. People well, are susceptible to things like that and i've just been very conscious i've tried to be conscious of what i slash we put out there not that i haven't written some really angry songs or anything like that but even in my angry songs it's always like okay how do i how do i rectify the situation this is bad even like something like the avenue you know um that's song about uh hurricane katrina it's It's very moving we got on the ellen show and all that stuff and yeah. oddly enough, that's my kids' favorite song out of all the songs. They love the Avenue. And my boy is seven and my girl's five, and they sing it to me all the time. But um, which is great, you know. But um, you know, even in that, you know, there's a, a, an element of okay, what comes next? How are you going to rectify the situation? Even if something like Jenny says, I'm describing a pretty bleak situation, but yeah. you know, the chorus is let it go, just let it go. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I was thinking even like with Joe Strummer. I mean, you had to let that girl go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh boy, that's a long. Story. That's a long story. That, yeah, it, that's a, that's that's a perfect. Yeah. It was kind of looked at from a comedic angle, but yeah, you know, it's it's the same thing of just you know even something like a song like "What You Gonna Do." It's the the chorus is "What Are You Gonna Do About It?" This happened. What are you gonna do? You know. So I mean, I. You know, I try in my own ways, but at the same time, you know, it's nice to be able to hit stuff and scream for a living. I mean, I tell you, it really does mellow you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, my my favorite, like I said, I, I celebrate literally the entire catalog without sounding like the guy from Office Space. But but Power of Love, that once that one uh, slides in there, uh, I, I'm my uh, my endorphins are released and I'm ready to act like I'm you know 14 again. Uh, just, I got really lucky with that song. Just, 
facial expressions, you know, there has to be like a a verbal and visual kind of communication going on. And if, yeah. if you know, if I'll never forget, we played a show with um, Dave Matthews Band, and this is like really at their height around uh, 99, 2000, when they were like the biggest band in the world, right? Yeah. We mm-hmm. played, we played, we did a few shows with them, but we played Jazz Fest with them in New Orleans, and uh, great band, you know. Uh, but the drummer had nothing but drums and cymbals all around him, and you couldn't see him. Yeah, Carter. Yeah, and he's a great drummer. I mean, he's obviously a phenomenal, phenomenal drummer, but you couldn't see him. And the band couldn't, they couldn't really see each other. Now, that works for them. And, and you know, Carter, you know, I mean, they have they have the wherewithal to have cameras and things like that. I don't have that. You know? Yeah. You know, I'm just right front and center. So the reason I tilt the cymbal is that I can get the proper sound out of it so, so I can crash it in the right way. So. Yeah, I just thought because you beat the dickens out of it, I was always like, that's probably the only way to get like the uh, aerodynamics right or something. It I mean, is. It really is. That, that's exactly what it is, um. hitting it the proper way. <laughs> yeah. Because I do beat the hell out of it. But if, if you, you know, it's just like anything. If you beat a cymbal the wrong way, you can crack it. If you beat it the correct way, no matter how hard you hit it, it'll survive because it's meant it's designed to be hit that way. Mm-hmm. But if I just kind of hit it like, you know, a baboon with a club, I'd, <laughs> I'd break it and probably slice my arm up, you know, but you know, there, there are different, there are different reasons for the way I know I do things based on sound, you know, um, yeah. you know, I do quote unquote beat the hell out of my drums, but I also hit them in a certain way to get the best possible sound, I think, from them. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you definitely, you definitely get that capture it well. I just, you know, like I said, it was something I always thought. Well, if I get an opportunity to get to talk to my, I just wanted to ask. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, did you? Have you to... know, it's so funny because nobody ever talks to me about drum play. They never talk to me about drums. They really? Talk to me about, you know. Uh, yeah. And it's, and you know, I love talking about drums because I'll go, I'll go to other drummers like bands that are open for us, and I'll be like, hey, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And, and, and sometimes they'll be very friendly, and sometimes they'll be like, oh, oh, yeah, oh it's Fred. Oh, oh, you know, it's like, okay. And yeah. But I love playing other drummers' kits, you know, like even if I just tap around on them for a minute, just to kind of see how they approach it, you know, because there's always something to learn. Always something to learn. Yeah, do you, uh, you I see you pretty much play Slingerland, right? Is that your kit of No, drums? no, 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 no. I, I, uh, my, preferred, my preferred drum kit is uh, Yamaha, uh, mm-hmm. but... Um, but the way we do it now, the way we tour now, is we um, mostly use backline. I had a slingling kit for a while, but yeah. um, it it got washed away in Katrina. Mm. Um, I play with an old kit that I had now whenever the band uses our equipment. It's an old Fives kit, F-I-B-E-S kit. It's okay. a very boutique set of drums, but they sound really good. And when we used to tour like you know, three months at a time, six or seven shows a week. You know, I brought those drums out for about three weeks, and after the third week, they were just the drums were like, "Oh God, please stop doing this." <laughs> you know? But yeah. now that we mostly do like three or four days a week at most, mm-hmm. you know, the drums are very, you know, they're very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're very organic. They have yes. a really nice feel to them. But you know, like in Nashville, we'll probably use a backline kit. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we use our kit or. We'll yeah. Um, right on. Uh, 
Man, you had a question that was added to that, and it was that was so in depth, I forgot what I was going to say. Well, sorry. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty. Much, oh yeah, yeah, I remember now. This is what it was. Um, I saw that New Orleans is, is it underwater right now? What's going on with that? Are you okay? Is everybody okay? No, it's fine. New Orleans is always underwater. We, yeah, whoever built the city built it in a damn, yeah. in a damn hole. You know. I saw. Yeah, yeah I saw today. You know. Yeah. That's something you deal with. You know. Yeah, water was overflowing, so I just wanted to, to check them no, out. No, no, we're fine. Hey, this is Dusty Slay. You're listening to the Josh Belcher Experience, and we're having a good time. Got to catch up with singer-songwriter Mark Narmore, who's going to be live at Puckett's in Columbia, Tennessee, for their Hitmaker series with Scott Reeves and J.P. Reeves on September 28th. You can go to PucketsGrocery.com slash Columbia Events to get more information on that. He has penned such songs as Moon Over Georgia by Shenandoah and also That's What I Love About Sunday by Craig Morgan, which was the most played country song of 2005. I got to catch up with him, talk about his uh, success in songwriting and experiences. And something that was a thrill for me, his connections to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Rick Hall, and Fame Studios, which is my favorite place in the entire universe. So stay tuned. We'll be talking to him here in just a second. It's, uh, Mark Narmore, uh, who's written some of the greatest country songs that ever were. Um, you're part of the uh, Muscle Shoals Fame Studio scene, which to me is the greatest thing on earth. Um, could you just talk a little bit about that, please? Yes, indeed. And uh, it's a blessing to be on your show, Joshua. Thanks again for for having me on. Uh, Muscle Shoals, I, I sort of came by it organically because I was born here <laughs> and yeah. raised, and I've spent uh, 54 years here living in the shoals but you know nashville you know you drive a bit you said nashville is not a bad commute from the shoals and it's actually it actually gives me a room to process uh, songs to think pray all the above not text and i don't uh, do any of (laughs) of that i I wait till i pull over to document things but it's a good space to uh to go back and forth and think and actually write songs. But Muscle Shoals scene, when I was a kid, my cousin Spooner Oldham, uh, he's a oh, rock wow. and roll hall of famer. You you probably heard or know Spooner's work. Yeah, uh, really. He, he, he was one of the architects of the Muscle Shoals sound early on. So uh, I idolized him and sort of wanted to be like him and do what he did because he was from Center Star which is uh, next door to Killen, which we consider ourselves in the Shoals area. We're about, you know, 15, 20 miles from Florence. But Spooner was a big inspiration because he had played on Aretha Franklin records at Fame, Percy Sledge, Wilson Pickett, Mustang Sally. So I thought, I I would like to be a part of uh, what's going on, being that it's in my own backyard. Sure. And so I just sort of grew up. And slowly but surely, I uh, became a songwriter and got better at songwriting as I went along and got better at all of it, uh, Joshua, piano playing, singing, because I started young, you know, 8 or 10 or 12 years old, mm-hmm. but uh, after doing all that for 10 years, you just you get better at your craft, don't you, when you exercise it Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. by the... Um, 
mid, let's see, mid eighties, I was really getting into the muscle shells scene and fame was really a, a big part of it. Uh, the songwriting part of muscle shells, they were hooked up with Nashville and all kind of Nashville producers and artists, record labels. So I was blessed and lucky to step into there uh, because it was, it was all plugged in. You know, we had, Shenandoah was recording there, the Shooters, mm-hmm. uh, Walt Aldridge and Robert Burns, uh, Steve Jones, Daryl Worley, all writing songs there. So I just came into a good learning place to learn and to learn about the business. And I'm just blessed to still still be around it today. Yes, sir. And speaking of Shenandoah, which is one of my favorite groups of all time, um, you actually wrote, uh, and it was un, uh, I was not aware of this, but my favorite song of theirs, you actually penned it, uh, the, you know, The Moon Over Georgia. Oh, bless your heart. Thank you. And let me tell you, the best, one of the best lyrics in any love song ever, uh, she'd rather have a million stars in the sky than a gold mine. You just, oh, you just hit, you, the hail, hit the uh, nail right on the head with that. Just a beautiful, uh, touching song I, uh, I've enjoyed yeah. thoroughly, so thank you for that one. Thank you. A little story on that, uh, Joshua. I was uh, working in radio at WLX. And All right. It's in Lawrenceburg now, but it used to be in Lexington. So uh-huh. I was working there at the time. I was writing songs for fame. But I was having to do two jobs, which when you're a young songwriter, I was padding the pocketbook a little bit with the uh-huh. radio job. Um, I had this idea, The Moon Over Georgia, and I had been working on it and writing on it and man i was uh rewriting and rewriting and rewriting which uh a lot of times i believe that makes the best song when you take it and woodshed with it and get the craft of it really really good and sharpened uh, i would take it to work with me every day honestly and work on it uh while i was on the air i was playing records uh-huh. and records and doing the weather and playing commercials, but in the back of my mind, I had me a little pad, and I was just thinking and uh, trying out different lines, you know, by process of elimination, trying out a thousand different lines, throwing that all away, you know, that this doesn't work, so it's back to the drawing board, and the more I worked on it, the simpler the song got, and the less, it was, it was really strange and cool, but it was a learning experience early on for me. The more I worked on it and the more universal the song became, the less words were in it, and it was just easier to sing. It was simpler. So I kind of got a lesson early on. You know, you think um, – I was thinking early on songs have to be really complex and convoluted and have these deep, real deep meanings. And um, But sometimes the simpler the better because you can speak to the masses. And I did keep – get to keep my cleverness in the moon over Georgia, that double twist in there. Uh, how I really uh, enjoy that word play. That's kind of what brought me to the table and liking country music anyway was the clever word play, you know, the two double meanings, triple meanings. So I'm mm-hmm. proud of that song. And it was the first song I got cut. I wrote it by myself. So it's really been a blessing and a calling card. It's got me in a lot of, a lot of doors. Sure, it's it's very it's very beautiful and like you said, very uh, you know very romantical. Very, I mean, it's a, it was a great song and I've always loved Shenandoah. Um, 
of course, everything they've ever done, you know, and then they're a Muscle Shows group. And I've had the fortune to speak with Marty on several occasions, just a class act guy. And when I found yeah. out he was to that song, I was like, oh, man. And, you know, on top of being around fame, um, you know, and everything. And I just, uh, I was just, uh, I just love that. And thank you for sharing that with me. Uh, truly enhanced the song that I've loved for, for many, for many moons. <laughs> you know? Oh, for many moons. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yes, um, indeed. And still hear it occasionally on the radio too, don't you? Yeah. Uh, uh, still uh, hanging yeah, in there. Yeah. Or you can, you can put, like I said, you can, you know, with a technology now, I can listen to it whenever I want to. I don't have to rely on somebody to play it for me, which has really spoiled me, you know, with technology. <laughs> oh, that, that's a great thing. I love it. Yeah. And another tie-in I have with you, you're going to love this. I actually was on, do you remember the CMT show, The Singing Bee? Oh, yes, indeed. I was on that as a contestant, and the song that got me on the game, on the challenge, was That's What I Love About Sunday. What about that? That is yeah. crazy, man. And what a, and uh, you know, of course, uh, I've, I've had the fortune to talk to Craig Morgan about it. You know, the most played song of, uh, what, 2005? Right, it was. Mm-hmm. What uh, what kind? I mean, that's just amazing. I mean, what, how did how did you feel about how you know? That's another song that people just latch to. You just have a knack for for tugging at heartstrings. I mean, uh, can you, can you well, talk about that song for a little bit? Yeah. Sure, sure, man. That song, and looking back, you know, at 15 years after I've written that one and Moon Over Georgia, looking back at both those songs, they have sort of a James Taylor melody, which I grew up on the 70s pop and and that smooth James Taylor sound. So I, I know somewhere in my heart and soul, James Taylor was uh, playing into a, a lot of those songs because they, listening back, they could I could hear James Taylor singing both. Sure. But, uh, but what I love about Sunday, my friend Adam Dorsey, he was from Los Angeles, and we were both writing for Jody Williams' music there in Nashville. This is about 2004, and... He calls me up and said, well, you, I drive up, you know, from Muscle Shoals to Nashville. I still do it, but I was driving up that day to write with Adam. And he said, man, could we meet in Franklin at this Chinese buffet? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, I've got a title I've been saving for you. And it's about Sunday because he knew I was a Christian and had grown up in and around church and just knew the whole vibe of Southern Sunday. You know, that's kind of mm-hmm. what I'm about, about is, yeah. Southern anything, but he had this idea and I thought, yeah, I'm all into that. He wanted to write a song about what things that went on on a Sunday at church and at home and at, uh, you know, eating and swinging on the porch and going fishing in the pond. And uh, really, um, we wrote that in an afternoon, Joshua, and it was, uh, we just kind of put it away for a minute because it was one of those songs I'd written tons of songs about hometown, Friday Night Lights, uh, church stuff about God, mama, football games. So I had a ton of songs in my catalog that were similar. You know what I'm saying? I had maybe probably 40 or 50 songs that were had a similar theme, maybe even not sounded exactly alike, but they were in that bag. So I think in my brain, I just put it, aside and didn't think much about it because I thought, well, it's a good song, but it didn't, uh, it was just one of those songs about home. And, but Adam uh, surprised me. He knew Craig Morgan pretty well and was kind of going out on the bus with him occasionally. They were friends. And 
he played Craig the song on the bus one night, <laughs> and Craig immediately, uh, yes, we want to cut it. Well, we didn't know it, but at the same time, our song plugger, Catherine Church, Catherine Blasphemy Church, she's married to Eric Church now. Uh-huh. Our, so uh, Craig had played it, or actually Adam Dorsey, my co-writer, had played it for Craig, and Craig is, you know, jumping up and down, loving the song. Yeah, and he was he was needing something like that, and kind of had envisioned, you know, having a song like that, so it was perfect. So yay, you know, we're all jumping up. At the same time, we didn't realize it. Um, Catherine Blasingame, Catherine Blasingame Church, who's now married to Eric Church, mm-hmm. she was our song plugger and creative director at Jody Williams Music. Absolutely, she had played it for, played it for Broken Bow, and at the same time, they were jumping up and down about it because, you know, everybody was kind of looking for that sort of song so it fit the bill perfectly. Um, so actually they both, <laughs> both <laughs> Catherine and Adam had a hand in getting that song placed. But, you know, it was one of those deals where Broken Bow was a new label and at the time in Nashville, independent labels had not really flourished and come up and had huge successes i mean it was still major 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 and the indie independent labels hadn't really i think it was rare maybe 20 years before there was a a label that had a number one but very rare so Mm -hmm. this song uh it was the first number one definitely for me for my co-writer for craig with the record label broken bow to the producer, Phil O'Donnell. Every, I assume like everybody involved with the record, it was their first number one. It was really, surely a God thing because it stayed up there five weeks. And wow. It was a total surprise and a good surprise, but total shock and surprise. Yeah, but but a great tune. What a, what a great story. Like you said, uh, it had to have been a God-driven thing because it, everybody was in place at the right time. And, you know, one thing I love, you know, in, in, in speaking with you and songwriters is because I, I don't get me wrong, I love the artist and I love how it's presented, but I love to hear the story behind it because country music has so much life and, and soul in it, like you said. And, and see, now that you talked about James Taylor, I could totally hear him singing that. I, I could just totally hear right. him singing. <laughs> I could just hear the guitar and, and his voice on it, and it just it, it would all mesh together. I mean, it's great the way it is, but if he ever wanted to cut it himself, I think he'd, he'd have another uh, another hit on his hands. So. Oh, and I, I would too, and I'd like pave my driveway. <laughs> <laughs> Hear that? Yeah. I, I could put people. some asphalt down. Yeah, it's funny you brought that up because I was uh, watching Chris Stapleton, of course, uh, on uh, YouTube the other day, and he said, and this song bought my house. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. It seems like songwriters, it's kind of like farming, you know, I mean, Sometimes we have to wait and we really have to have some faith because we don't know when the next one's going to come or really if it will come. So it's really a, it's a, my wife and, and kids have sure been good to let me try out this career for 30, 30 some odd years, Joshua. It's been yeah, fun. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's worked out great for you. Have you ever, um, have you ever uh, wrote a song or anything or after you're done, you just know it's a hit? You know, oddly enough, talking about Moon, I really did feel like that was a hit. I did because um, I had written it fame for about four years, 
a little bit frustrated. I mean, when you're young, you want it to happen really soon. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of had four years of learning, but I knew that title, Moon Over Georgia, I've always been a title guy. And um, you could have written that song a few different ways, but the, the hook to me, the, the title, the cleverness, the play on words, I just felt like it was uh, it was going to work, you know. And in the late 80s, early 90s, I just I was immersed with kind of what was going on with uh, the different groups and how, how songs were being crafted. What what was what was going big like Miami, Miami. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Moon Over Georgia may be similar in that uh, it's a story song, but it didn't go just all the way deep story. It was enough of a story to keep it interesting, but it was a love song, and um, and that was fun. I'm a piano guy, but I wrote that one on guitar. So that, yeah. there's James Taylor, but I'm mainly a, a piano player. But, you know, hanging around Fame, of course, there was Steve Jones, Robert Byrne, um, yeah. all kind of acoustic guitar players that were doing this finger picking that I was unaccustomed to. Uh-huh. So I started just picking up a few of their licks, and so Moon Over Georgia was probably written with finger picking guitar that I was just trying out at the time. You know, yeah, right on. For me, that's so cool. And then um, uh, let's say you, you you have quite a relationship with uh, Josh Turner. I mean, what is he like, and how, how do you guys uh, constantly? Because it says you've you've written a couple of songs with him, or quite a few actually. Yeah, he he's been a great buddy, and we uh, started out around two thousand just before 9-11, I remember. And I come from Center Star, which you know is like 600 people. And we were both at the same publishing company, and we, we met, and he was from Hannah, South Carolina, which is a similar population, you know, 600 or less. So we, we kind of hit it off. We both were Christians, and we both knew about, you know, we like football and eating butter beans and black eyed peas and chicken after church and Tupperware yeah. bowls. So we, we just got each other and, you know, we bonded on the level of the small town and, and being Christians and, and actually both kind of a uh, similar range, you know, our baritone singing range. That was kind of a cool tie in too, but he has kept me, I've been on every record. He's been a, a good one and great to me. Um, yeah. Up until this day, from the beginning of his career, I mean, I've been a had songs on every single album that he's done. So that man, that has been uh, a huge part of my career. That's been like um, one of those things you hang a hat on in a career. You know, it's like yep. you, you can count singles like "Moon Over Georgia" or "Like There Ain't No Yesterday" and certain uh-huh. cuts, but. Having that relationship with Josh, to me, that's a that's a star and a crown for a career. To me, that's big for me. He's such a good talent, and what a voice! Just and it just seems like he didn't even have to strain to sing; it just comes out. No, he really doesn't, man. He uh, had some training early on, you know, to learn yeah. how to sing. So he he knows how to to sing and not hurt his voice. You're exactly yeah. right. He doesn't strain at all. Yeah, I, I, you know, I said I, I play drums, but I've studied many a singer, and he just seems like one of those that you don't see. You know, he he don't look like he's having too hard of a time that floating out of his mouth. So. <laughs> yeah, that that's right. And we, uh, 
we've just always had fun. Just there's a lot of craziness when you get around me. I'm I'm pretty laid back, I guess, shy guy in a way. But when I get going with somebody, we get to writing and eating and talking. I mean, it gets kind of crazy and fun. And the the fun aspect is what's I think kept me feeling young and able to stay in the game. and I like to change. I like to, uh, like I said, grew up in the 70s on pop and southern gospel music. Yeah. And then uh, James Taylor and then, you know, Kansas and all that rock and roll, too. But I've always been able to change when it came time, when country music, any kind of music for uh, genre changes, right? Yes, sir. Every, every five or ten years. So I've always had to pull out the toolbox. And, uh, and I enjoy that, learning how to do uh, say like the new cadences and the new rhythms and um i really um it's fun to do that so i think that helps me stay in the game this long is being yeah. able to, to adapt roll with the punches as they call it and, that, and that's that's how yeah. you gotta do it. you gotta adapt you gotta keep on trucking i like that um i had a another question for you i um I actually know this young lady and have been friends with her family a long time. But you, you, uh, Taylor Lynn cut one of your songs. She's just a sweet girl. Uh, oh from man, Mary, she, I was from. What, what did she, what did she cut that was yours? Man, she is a good buddy. We've been writing actually, Joshua, about maybe ten years. Uh, she wow. and I and Liz, Liz Rose, brought her into a co-write because Liz and I used to to write every Monday. One of those Mondays, she brought. Taylor Lynn and what a singer and what a personality and yeah. songwriter and story and we just became buddies. We've written, like I say, ten years, but we have a uh, song that we're a couple of songs that we're real proud of that we co wrote with her Mima, Loretta. Yeah. And what what we did, uh we Taylor had a an idea, Wild Mustang that her grandmother Mima had, had given her and they talked about so she brought it to me, and we worked on it a bit. And then we got to the bridge section, and we FaceTimed Meemaw. So Taylor called Meemaw, <laughs> and we got her approval, and she gave us a couple of changes and lines, and and that was real cool. So the three of us are on her song called Wild Mustang. Yeah, that's too cool. And that's, uh, awesome. that's on her new new album that's coming out. I'm really super proud of that. And, yeah, Taylor's a great one. Yeah, her uh, my mother is from uh, my mother's original native of the Leapers Fork area, Hillsboro. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, before it blew up, and she was friends with Taylor's mom. And since I've been playing music and doing radio and everything, I always kept up with Taylor. And I tell you, another talent of hers and a credit to her that Christmas movie she did was right on the money. Did you get to watch that? You know, yes, we did. It was so good, man. Oh my gosh, she, it was so moving. Bring tear to your eyes. It's just beautiful. It was such a good movie. And it was, some of it was shot there, right around uh, ten, in Tennessee. Yes, there is. There's over a couple of different places, and they shot a lot of the uh, downtown scenes close to where uh, Loretta Lynn's uh, area out there, where her ranch is and everything. Oh yeah, Wa- Waverly area. That's beautiful. Yes, mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just a, but to be an actress, I mean, she's just her, she's got talents coming out the wazoo, as they call it. But oh, uh, I she thought, does. yeah. <laughs> And I thought you did a song. I was like, how cool is that? Because when she did that that um, cold dust and everything on Record Store Day, that was probably the last time I interviewed her, and I did it for the local paper here. And uh, it, they just took to it really well and was glad to know that uh, 
Loretta Lynn's lineage is, is still going strong. So, Me too. I've been up there to, to sing. She has a little um, a venue in Waverly, and I've been up to sing a couple of times. And I had another, let's see, uh, I want to circle back a little bit to Muscle Shoals and everything. Um, right, before yeah. he passed, right before he passed, I had the honor to interview Rick Hall, but didn't wow. get to really dive into him. And you knew him as a person. Could you just tell me what he was actually like? Yeah, it was so cool. I, I signed uh, at Fame in 1986, <laughs> and uh, I, I tell you what, Joshua, that was uh, signing that contract. I think I could have quit. I mean, th- I could have quit when I started because I was so excited. It's kind of like being on a professional football team. Sure. If you're if you're a sports guy, I mean, being writing at Fame was my dream. I thought I can't believe I'm actually doing this. So. <laughs> Uh, it took took about a year for me to get my head <laughs> out of the clouds and sure. buckle buckle down. But Rick was uh, he was a great guy. Now he speaking of football, he was kind of like kind of like what I would term like a football coach, maybe like a Nick Saban or Bear Bryant. Oh, yeah. He expect he expected your best. And he expected you to work and let you know that you know he uh, was uh, very adamant about work ethic, like people writing a whole bunch of songs and taking criticism well um he uh like i say he could be hard on the young ones he kind of liked to break in the, <laughs> the younger ours but that's just the way of a good father and a good coach and a good you know producer and publisher that he was he uh he was a strong man and he was driven he knew he had already had all that success you know uh-huh. as a producer and really was probably one of the main reasons, as you know, Muscle Shoals happened in the first place. It was his drive and determination. But he was very – I went out to the ranch usually to negotiate my deals with him, just him. He would get the ride out there. We, we would just hang out and go out on his farm. And super nice guy. I mean, one of the most charming individuals. I'm thinking now that Rick Hall – is a guy that could probably um, dignitaries like kings of other countries. He, he would have been a good diplomat because he was so <laughs> just smooth and good with words and just knew how to make situations everybody feel at ease. You know, he was a yeah. he was that kind of guy. But on the other hand, you flip that switch and you get him making a record because you know he knew Muscle Shoals being as small as it was and trying to compete with what New York, Los Angeles, Memphis, Motown, it had to be perfect and great and monstrously good. So I think that's why he took on the, the dig in and uh, being kind of a hard uh, shell person on the production side, because he had to be, it had to be, man, it had to be great. And he made sure that it was. And on some of those records, uh, you know, I think he did uh, drill and grill the musicians and singers. I mean, they might uh, do the song 60 or 70 times. You know what I mean? <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, he, he uh, wanted to get he wanted to get everything just like he heard it, and and you and um, but that you get tired of I'm sure playing a song 50 or 40, even 30 or 40 times. You know, one uh-huh. same song. But uh, he had a method in all of it, and proofs in the pudding, huh? But to answer, to answer your question, he was a good, a good friend and a good, 
friendly guy that that you um I guess you know, like I say, like a coach and a dad, you have that friendly side, but you know you better do your work, do your homework, and you better get it right, and you better not cry when he calls you on it because he'd tell us, you know, this is not, this song is not great. You need to scrap yeah. it, or you need to start over, or uh, you need to do something with this. So you kind of had to have tough skin and. Except, kind of learned to accept that. So it was kind of like a good, in a good way, like a Marine Corps of the music business with Rick and Fang. But I'm proud of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't earn that title, you know, a hit capital of the world for nothing, you know. I mean, you got to have the drive and the, and the want and everything. Oh, he was the big, the big push and the reason that I think that Muscle Shells made it to where it was. It was Rick. Yeah. And, uh, uh, going in the studio, I went about three or four months ago, and it to me it was like going to Disneyland. I mean, you you go through the door, you feel the energy, uh, you know. Just I broke down to, to tears, you know, six foot tall, three hundred pound adult man, uh, just you know sitting behind that console and listening to music and what's happened there. It's just to me, you don't get any better than that, and that's why I'm bound and determined that that's where I'm going to spend <laughs> spend my life once I get the money saved that I want to to make it worth my while. <laughs> I think it's wonderful because, yeah. like you say, what a good hub. You know, um, if you do want to get to Nashville, you're just two hours away. Hey, if you want to go to Memphis, two and a half hours. Yeah. Birmingham is less than two hours. Atlanta is less than four. So you're just Chattanooga, two and a half, Knoxville. I mean, it's just a hub of uh, the south. Yes. It's, it's a great place. Like I said, I went to visit, and I, and I like I went and got on uh, – online and if you know thumbtacked a couple of houses and got my goal and and like i said god willing uh within the next year that's that's gonna be my residence so uh, we'll be praying for that too because it's a sweet it's a good place as you know i mean it's uh in general it's just a good vibe and the folks are friendly kind christian good Uh, good people the best the best kind of people but um and I appreciate you talking to me. I've, I've enjoyed this interview, just getting lost in your words and everything. Oh, any any time, Joshua, you call me up, and I'd, I'd love to do it again. Yeah, I just want to uh, – one last question, and then I'll let you go, is that I wanted you to – you know, uh, the the uh, 28th, which is what, you know, the main thing we were going to talk about um, at 830, the, the songwriter series there at Puckett's in Columbia. Could you, could you uh, tell a little bit more about that and what's going on for people that would be interested in getting to go? Yeah, over the uh, the last few years, I've been I've been doing a lot of those songwriter shows, and um, it's kind of rewards a, a part of me that I never got to do earlier, Joshua, and that was being an artist. Um, that was a part early on that I sort of thought I might could do, but I sort of laid that down to be the writing, do the writing, and what what these shows, I mean, it lets my artistry come out and I have fun with that. I'm a piano guy. Uh-huh. And like I say, I kind of shy laid back person, but when this get on stage, there's another persona that comes out and there's, believe it or not, a lot of humor <laughs> in some yeah. of my songs that, that I really, uh, I love to pull that out and I like to laugh and, and see people have a good time, but I'll do all the hits I have and I'll do some of the Josh Turner songs and, um, I'll do some songs like Neil Young on the Prayer List. I'm not sure if you've heard that. It's a true story. My co- I'll just give you a little teaser for the folks out there. Uh, my cousin, Spooner, who I mentioned, who's uh, 
Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. He goes to our church here in Center Star. He was playing on the road with Neil Young 12 years ago, and Neil fell ill with a sickness, and Spooner called and put Neil on the church prayer list, and the church secretary is going, there's 14 Neils. Who are you? Who are you talking about, Neil? And he goes, oh, yeah, Neil, Neil Young. And she still didn't know <laughs> who Neil Young was. And she put Neil on the prayer list along with Aunt Mamie, who had twisted her leg in an armadillo hole, and Uncle Joe, who'd gotten snake bit in the kudzu without his boots on. And here's Neil Young on the prayer list. So I wrote, it's a funny song, but it's true. So I'll be doing that one. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, no matter how big or small everybody needs, you know, prayer don't hurt, that's for sure. <laughs> that is exactly right. Yeah. And my buddies will be on the show with me, Scott Reeves. I've uh, been writing with Scott for the last five years, so he's just a good bud. And, of course, you mentioned Blue County. You uh, yeah. talked to them a while back. He used to be in the group Blue County, and they had the song Good Little Girls. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Scott will be doing that one, Good Little Girls Make Some Mighty Fine Women. He also wrote the song, co-wrote the song Made in America. That's his biggest hit as a songwriter. What a song uh, uh-huh. that Toby Keith had. And I heard that song. I know, I'm trying to think, I've heard it so much. Like at the White House and different events, you know, over the past few years, they'll be playing that song, like on 9-11 in New York. I mean, I heard it, uh, you just hear it. It's just a, a song, an anthem for our yep. country and for the good good people, you know. Yeah, it's a great, beautiful uh, uh, song. And like I said, uh, you know, with him as Blue County, uh, Blue County, I just interned at KDF. I was green as grass, you know, trying to make it my own footing, you know, in my early 20s. And, you know, they were so nice to me and just great group and, and you know, good for them. He was good then. I'm sure he's just as good now, you know. Oh, Yeah. And that's awesome. But uh, anyway, I thank you for your time. I thoroughly enjoyed this. It's got me excited about music, and, and I love that feeling because music is my language, and I love it very much. This week's Yettysburg Address hosts two new uh, items on the docket, if you will. Um, I did it solo. Sam Madewell was out in the brush looking for Yeti and Sasquatch and Bigfoot. And I discussed UFOs, unidentified flying objects. What a tongue twister. I I got to speak with MUFON of Tennessee State Director, Chief and Field Investigator, and Star Team member, Angelia Shear. Angelina always been fascinated with the possibility of extraterrestrial life and adventures that land store from that discovery in her world. There's nothing more exciting than the pursuit of that knowledge and the wonders that may be discovered about ourselves and our universe at large. She's been a private UFO researcher for 30 plus years came on board with MUFON about four years ago including her years in private research and now her everyday activities with MUFON she's excited to be a part of some extraordinary UFO sightings field investigations and first-hand witness interviews Angelia looks forward to building a strong team of new investigators expanding MUFON meetings across the state of Tennessee and bringing awareness to the general public about the ever-increasing UFO phenomena right here in Middle Tennessee are we alone in the universe? After speaking with thousands of eyewitnesses and being, for, being present for some really incredible field investigations, she says empathetically, 
no. Now to contact her if you've ever had a UFO sighting, it's P-A-R-A-A-S-H-E-E-R at gmail.com or parashear at gmail.com. Remember, she is the state director of MUFON of Tennessee. And she's with us next on the first ever extraterrestrial portion of the Yetisburg Address. What a treat we have for uh, this edition of the Yetisburg Address. We usually do Sasquatch, but we're going to teeter over and talk about unidentified flying objects with Miss Angelia Shear of it's MUFON, right? Is that, did I say it right? You did. You did. Thanks, Josh. I, I, I really appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, I just thought it was really neat. Like I said, I was driving uh, locally through Spring Hill and saw a vehicle with all of your information on it and, and immediately thought to write it down and looked it up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like a full, full-on thing. And then uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Uh, can you tell me how it all got started and, and uh, your role in it and everything? Sure, sure. Um, I've probably been investigating uh, the UFO phenomena about 38 years. My father was a professor at Vanderbilt University, and he was, you know, I was raised in a real open uh, environment. I knew how huge the universe was um, from a very young age. Uh So we were, you know, encouraged uh, to explore things. So I was just always obsessed with the UFO phenomena and the possibility of extraterrestrial life. So probably my father had started writing. He did his own research in the UFO phenomena, and he started writing a book. Unfortunately, he passed away when I was about 13. So when I was about 18 or 20, I took over all his research, and I've been hot and heavy, um, you know, <laughs> researching ever since. So I have. Yeah. A, I want to clarify just two things for you. I have a sure. private research group that I've been, you know, 38 years, Parashir Research. You can find me on Facebook all over the place, Parashir Research on Facebook, parashirresearch.com. And then I'm also the state director for MUFON, which stands for the Mutual UFO Network. That's an organization that's been around 50 years. Wow. Um, matter of fact, we just had our 50th year celebration, and I just this year, it's interesting, I just won Field Investigator of the Year. Yeah, congratulations. It was, <laughs> was a great honor. I was shocked, but that's not why I do this. And oh, okay. so MUFON has studied the UFO phenomena, like we said, for 50 years. So I am the state director for Tennessee. So um, we stay pretty busy. I bet. I bet. Now, um, another thing that comes up with this uh, is like, do people call in and, and ask you or tell you they've seen things, or I mean, or how does that work? Are you guys do you guys provide like a confidentiality, like someone to talk to if, if they have discovered something or, or, or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, you can go to MUFON.com, and you know I really appreciate you talking to me. I, that's all we do is try to get awareness out, and you can make a report on the database in MUFON. It goes into a historical database. The information is confidential. We do have field investigators. Um, I take cases. I have field investigators across the state. Every case that's logged through MUFON in Tennessee comes across my desk. I'm notified, and I either assign a field investigator in their area because I can't be everywhere, or I take the case, and, you know, we talk to people. And we do keep everything confidential. I mean, that's Uh one of my biggest responsibilities. And then if people don't want to, you know, be part of a database, they can – you know, report the case to my private group, which is Parachute Research. Yeah. Well, that is too neat. Um, now, um, you know, you said you, you know, you've followed your dad's footsteps, which is 
really, really neat. I, I loved hearing that story. But have you actually seen one or had an encounter of any kind yourself, or, or do you uh, want to talk about something like that? Yeah, Josh. I mean, I could keep you for like three hours. I mean, my radio shows are usually two or three hours. But yeah, absolutely. I am a true boots on the ground researcher. What that means in our jargon is that I have a team, a very highly trained team. Uh, we actually deploy when there's, you know, when a case is reported and we have enough evidence to deploy a team, we actually send out a team. And I mean, we have four-wheelers and pickup trucks and, you know, all kinds of cameras, FLIR cameras, you know, field meters, yeah. and we do go out to the site. Um, just one example, about a year or so ago, we were called out to a farm. Had this uh, young man sent me a video, incredible video, couldn't debunk it, one of the clearest videos of a UFO over a pasture I've had. And oh, we wow. took the team out there, and um, darn it, about 10.30 at night, we're all sitting around, you know, a lot of times we don't get anything but 10.30 at night, this triangular craft just comes over our head like it knew we were there. And it oh, wow. stopped. It was completely silent, had to have anti-grav generators, whatever it was, um, and just hovered over our heads for, you know, three or four minutes. I mean, and it was so low, we could actually see ambient white light around the edges, almost <laughs> like win windows. How so wild. We were standing there with our mouths open, you know, while yeah. that Absolutely. It's just amazing to think, you know, I mean, I'm with you. I've, I was uh, fortunate enough to, to uh, you know, acknowledge the universe as well. And, and I, I personally don't think we could be the only living beings in that far of a, you know, a jump. There's got to be more to it than that. And, you know, I, I, I thought I had seen something here where I live. It was some flashing uh, red lights in the backyard. And, um, you know, didn't know about you guys at the time, but I definitely would have gave you a call because, it was just some twinkling lights, and they would disappear and then blip back, and they were like the size of like little orbs, like almost like uh, not quite a basketball, but maybe like softball size, and they were red and orange or reddish orange. Well, you know, in the last year or so, I've been, you know, speaking around, and one of the, the biggest phenomena we've had happening in the last couple of years are people reporting these orbs. And I'm not talking about little pinpoints of light way up in the sky. I've had so many cases of these orbs down in the trees, the yeah. tree canopy. So if you see it again, call me. But, you know, my I've had a couple of hunters call me lately, and I love hunters. You know, these are good old boys, had a gun since they were five. You know, not really. But um, uh -huh. don't you don't believe in any of this. And, man, they've had – I've had a few hunters had the heck stared out of them uh, with some of the things that have happened to them lately. So the orbs have been a very common phenomenon recently. Yeah, that's where these were. There was a right dwindling in the trees right over here in the backyard. And and mm -hmm. you brought that up. I didn't even mention the trees, and it gave me kind of goosebumps because I thought I was hallucinating. <laughs> I thought I didn't know. Maybe maybe some some I had to drink earlier was spiked or something. But yeah, just you know, as plain as day, and you know, just sitting there looking at them. And I thought, is my mind playing tricks on me? But that's the that's the closest I've ever had to actually you know seeing one. Of course, I, I would welcome one if I got to. But that's that was my encounter. And like I said, that was a few months ago and then I went, ran into one of your vehicles and here we are which is so so awesome yeah well um, the yeah I'm ahead. sorry go ahead well uh my other question was do you do conferences do you have get-togethers or or if someone were interested in, in coming like do you have meetings or anything like that where, where the community community can be involved or anything Absolutely. Um, I do conferences all over the southeast. I just spoke at Alien Expo, a big conference in Knoxville about two weeks ago. I was over at uh, Cherokee, North Carolina last weekend or the weekend before last. 
uh, at the actual uh, Indian reservation there. Uh, oh, wow. And, and spoke there over cases in Tennessee. So I'm speaking all over the place. I do radio shows. And then also we have quarterly meetings here in the Middle Tennessee area in Nashville, MUFON meetings. And, you, again, you can keep up with this on Facebook, MUFON of Tennessee and MUFONOFTennessee.com. Uh-huh. And we do put all of our information up there when our next meetings are going to be. We always have, you know, some interesting speakers. We try to present, you know, recent cases that have happened in Tennessee of interest. And then it just provides, a, you know, a platform for people to meet and get together kind of like-minded, you know. So yeah, we, we welcome people to come. There's no charge for those meetings, and we welcome you to um Come on over and meet everyone. Well, that's too cool. I, I'm really glad to you know get to talk to you and everything. And like I said, we, we you know we touched base a little bit earlier. Now, did you say uh, or or did I hear you? There's somebody interested in you for doing like a TV show where you kind of like do this because you have the personality for it. That's for sure. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, well, Netflix actually contacted me two or three months ago, and they were interested. I don't know how they got my name, but they were interested in one of my cases I've been working on for three years. So you never know about TV, you know. But um, we might be doing an episode with Netflix. And also, um, we're not sure, but I am working right now with Katie Cook from CMT. Uh, She's a host in CMT. She's one of my dear friends. And we don't know exactly what we're going to do, but we're working on a project right now, putting together some things that, um, you know, we have some fun things planned that we think we'd like to go around and interview people and, you know, get some more cases coming in. So we have some things in the pipeline uh, coming up that I, I think people would enjoy. And, and again, you know, I have a – Josh, I have a job in the real world. But yeah. I, like I said, I've been obsessed with this since I was a little girl, honestly, five or six wow. years old. Uh, I said God made me UFO girl. So the reason <laughs> I push myself is – I want people to know me. I want them to hear me. Um, I develop trust with my witnesses. My, a lot of my witnesses become my friends because I just want to get people comfortable that if they've had a sighting, they know they have someone to call and talk to. And I will promise you guys out there in podcast land, you are not alone. I've probably interviewed 2,500 people at this point, all credible wow. witnesses. Um, so if you had a sighting, you know, let me know. Look at one of my sites. Give me, send me an email. I'll be happy to talk to you. Yeah, well, hey, that is so cool. And like I said, if if I see those little things again, uh, I'm you glad better I call me. Oh, I will. <laughs> you, you, I'll text you something. Uh, depending on what time of night it is, I'll be like, hey, I saw this, and and God willing, I'll think to pick up my phone and actually record it or something. But last Absolutely. time I was just kind of like, what in the world is this, you know? But uh, yeah, but that was really neat. But anyway, you know, thank you so much for speaking with me and. You're our first, um, you know, alien. We were, uh, I saw that and was intrigued by it. We've been talking to a lot of people about good old Sasquatch and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, aliens. This is my first time, and I'm, I was so intrigued, and, and thank you for, uh, you know, giving me oh, some well, more knowledge. Oh, well, you're welcome. And, and you know, like if, you'd a, like, if you'd like to have me back on um, regularly sometime just to update you with the reports, I'd be happy to do that. And also, since you do the Sasquatch, one of my dear friends and fellow researchers is Matt Matthew Delph of Mecro. You might want to um, get his information. He's had some really interesting stories. He's a Bigfoot researcher. I absolutely so love to. He's yeah, got be some so awesome. great, great stories. So, but thank yeah. you for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank. That wraps up the 9/11 tribute edition of the Josh Belcher Experience podcast. 
want to take this time to say thank you to all the men and women in uniformed armed forces, firefighters, police officers. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you do. I'll never be able to repay you back, but I can at least tell you that I respect you and I'm in full gratitude for what you do day in and day out to protect myself, my loved ones, my family members, uh, protect our freedom and keeping us safe. So thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. Special thanks to my local hero, Will Craft, local firefighter here in my home base of Columbia, Tennessee. Thanks for what you're doing. Good luck on September 11th, doing two climbs this year, climbing those stairs in your, few, in your full uniform like the all-star that you are. Thank you, my hat's off to you, my brother. Special thanks also to Fred LeBlanc, lending his time of cowboy mouth uh, with this interview, singer-songwriter extraordinaire Mark Narmore, and Angelia Shear, president of MUFON, local UFO investigation Tennessee chapter, uh, being the first UFO guest on the Yetisburg Address. Uh, 9-11, never forget. God bless you all, and thank you very much, and God bless the USA.